Today we're going to uh, talk about the subject of vision, and and I want to ask you, I want to ask, I'm kind of going to go a bit convoluted. We're going to land there eventually, but in the middle of it, you might go, "Where are we going? I thought we we're doing about just just go with me, okay? Can I just trust me? Because I reckon vision vision is actually a really I don't know about you, but we live in times when it's easy to kind of lose vision. If you've kind of been around for a while, you know, you can feel like the world that we used to live in, that you look out with this confident expectation, it's like, what happened? You know, suddenly dream kind of cities like London and Paris that you thought about, suddenly you think, oh my goodness, terrorism and ISIS in the Middle East and stuff like that. And, and it's easy to kind of get quite... Uh, fearful, despairing, negative about the world. Maybe, you know, if you think about politics, Brexit in, in the Britain, the American elections, even in New Zealand, maybe you feel like, man, just law changes that, that don't represent who I am and where I'm... It's easy to kind of start pulling back and feeling like the world is a scary place and, and, and I don't know if it's going to get any better. Does anyone ever feel like that? No, just me. But there's a. I came across this clip uh, this week from an American preacher, Andy Stanley, who who talked about, who kind of spoke into people feeling like that. And it's just a three-minute clip, but I want to play it because he he really challenges that kind of spirit that comes on us that just starts to lose hope and lose vision. So we're going to try and play this uh, video clip. It's just three minutes. Yeah. Real quick, I want to say something to a couple groups. All right. First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. You have fixed your eyes on a political leader. You have fixed your eyes on the good old days. You fixed your eyes on the economy. And you are, you are growing weary and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why. Because you are scaring the children. <laughs> you are. Now look up here, look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are going to take their cue from us. And here's the cue we're giving them. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right person in the, in the you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government, and po government matters, policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word. Faith. Confidence that God keeps His promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, What is truth? Crucify Him. Game over. It's done. Let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, the only reason you know who Pilate is, is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a footnote in the story of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. So all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control. God can be trusted. Get involved in the political system. Get involved in culture. Get involved in your society. But you never fix your eyes there. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, for those of you who are under 45, especially if you're 20 and 30, look up here. 
Do not grow weary and lose heart. Do not grow weary and lose heart. And don't fix your eyes on social media. And don't fix your eyes on Washington, D.C. And don't fix your eyes on my generation. Look up here. Do not grow weary and do not lose heart because once upon a time, a group of people your age embraced a resurrected Savior and embraced the teaching of a resurrected Savior and a group of people from your generation that were your age changed the world. And they did it through faith and they did it through the behavior connected to faith. Now, isn't that amazing? I love that, oh, that line he says, once upon a time, a group of people your age changed their world. Once upon a time, a group of people your age changed their world. And if you think that it's difficult or challenging or impossible today, for a minute you think about the context of the early church. The small group of people in a despised, occupied land at the edge of the known world, uneducated, untrained, but they caught a vision that they saw a time that this world could change. And they lived in a Roman empire controlled by military power where armies would walk through and just execute people. And a megalomaniac emperor who believed he was God incarnate demanded that you worship him and would string up people on crosses and cover them in tar and light them to light the way to his games. And a small group of people your age dared to believe that that thing would fall. They carried a vision that one day that empire would fall, that one day this gospel would spread to the whole world, that one day every knee would bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Once upon a time, a group of people dared to believe that they could change the world. And so if we're going to be a people of vision, you've got to know, how did they do that? What did they carry on the inside? And, and just to be clear, within a generation, it's said in Acts, it was being said about them, they're turning the world upside down. In 300 years, that Roman Empire that had seemed so impregnable had become Christian. They did it. It happened. It actually happened under impossible circumstances. But the question is, what did they carry inside that enabled them to carry a vision that sustained them to change the world? And, and um, I uh, did a session at um, the Summer Revo for youth, and, and I, I, it's a bit provocative, but I said to them, you know what, God wants to put a bomb under revolution youth. That, that, went a, <laughs> that was real quiet. I was like, this getting, no, no, and, and you go, where does he say that in the Bible? Well, because... It's a paraphrase, okay, but, um, but, but what happened is, you th if you think about Jesus, Jesus came and for three years he taught about this kingdom that was going to come and break into the world, and was going to turn the world upside down and had it operated by different values and he trained these people and, and he taught them how to heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the gospel. He modeled these upside down values of the kingdom and then, you know, he died, he rose from the dead and then he gave them this commission, okay, you're going to go out and, and this thing's going to spread all around the world and they go okay we're ready to go and he goes no 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 you're not no you got to wait you got to wait because I've got to put a bomb under this thing yet where did he say that and we've got Acts chapter 1 verse 8 hopefully coming up Acts chapter 1 you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon. The word power is the word in Greek, dunamos. It's where we get the word dynamite from. Jesus is going, yeah, you know the concepts, but if this is gonna change the world, I've gotta got put a bomb under this thing that blows this thing out into the ends yeah. of the world and blows it forward into the purposes of God. Come on, he's like, you gotta wait, you understand the concepts, but if this is gonna change the world, I've gotta put a bomb under this thing. You're more keen on the Andy Stanley idea, right? But you'll get there, you go. But here's the thing I said to the youth. It's not about the bomb. It's about the wave that's produced by the bomb. Anytime you, from dropping a stone into a pond, you create ripples. When you set off a bomb, you create a shockwave. And Jesus' idea, I'm going to let off such a powerful bomb under this thing that it creates a shockwave that propels outwards to the ends of the earth. Where's that in there? It's in the, it's in the second part of it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem all Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. These are, if you know the context, these are not random uh, places. These, these are concentric circles of influence as this wave goes out. So they're all sitting in a room in Jerusalem and he's like, this bomb's gonna go off and suddenly it's gonna go bang out and it's gonna fill this whole city of Jerusalem. And it's gonna go bang out and it's gonna fill this whole province. And then, and it's gonna go bang and it's gonna jump this major cultural barrier to the Samaritan. And it's just gonna keep going out till it reaches the end of the earth because I'm going to put a bomb under this thing that propels this thing outward and forward till the purposes of God are realized. I, I don't know if you get that picture. So I, I just be, I'm going to, I've got a few videos of bombs. Is that right? And shockwaves. So I'm going to show you a video, but just be careful. There's no sound for the first 10 seconds. Not because there's no sound, but because the camera is actually way back and it takes a while for the sound to get there. So just set your pacemaker on, kind of whatever, okay? And the sound guys, don't go winding it up looking for the sound because it's come. So, so let's try this. Because I want you to get a picture. There's a bomb and then there's a wave. And I want you to get this, that this is what Christianity's... Oh, we missed it. Sorry, can we go back and start again? Getting ahead of myself. Can we start again? Here we go, watch this. wave moved across and right before you hear the sound you actually see the shadow come over and then bang it hits you how about we watch it again just to really okay try it again okay through the air, the other phenomenon that occurs in nature is in water, creating a wave. One of the, one of the big things that happens is icebergs off in big sections break off, so it's not a bomb, but it's a sudden kind of injection of energy into a medium, this one water, that creates a wave. For some reason they call it carving, as if the iceberg's having a baby or something, but anyway. So, <laughs> but I 
I'm, I've got a little video. I want you to watch this. Here's a video. Again, watch the, watch the injection of force and then the wave that's produced. This is a, an iceberg. Here we go. injection of force that produces a wave. Got a slightly more intense one of another iceberg. Okay, we're gonna show this one. I got three of these. They get they get more dramatic. Okay, this one's a bit more dramatic. Are we ready to go with the next one? Okay. You're gonna receive power and then a wave's gonna go out. One more. This one's this one's the most violent one, okay? Last one, I just promise. Doesn't get worse than this. Okay, one more. One more. Okay, here we go. Oh no, that's the same one. Next one. Next one. There were people who were right up there under the glacier. It's much too close to it. Before the mountain of ice fell, we noticed that a very large piece had broken off. That's when we started feeling the danger in the air. Before anyone can react. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, we might finish there. No one died. They were injured, but no one died. Okay. You get the picture. God wants to put a bomb under his movement, but it's not about the bomb, it's about the wave. It's not about the bomb, it's about the wave. Now, just if you're feeling a bit like, what is this about? Just a, just a bit more comfortable. Just, you know, the good news, if you flick back up Acts 1 verse 8, uh, you know, it says, but uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit. So just a couple of quick points. You know, here's the, here's the other. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. Yeah. Right. And one of those other symbols is a dove. He's a really nice person. He's real gentle. He's nice. Okay. And, 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 the, and the wave is not a destructive wave. It's a life-giving wave of liberation and redemption and seeing people set free and transformation. But it is a way. But here's the thing that I, that I want to say. What, what is the, what's the key point about what the wave is about? And if you flick up Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, this describes what the moment uh, the wave hit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Next verse. Is it going to come? Verse 2. Suddenly, like, right? That's a bomb word. Suddenly, suddenly the iceberg broke. Suddenly the bomb goes off. What? sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. Next one. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. Next one. And all of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. That's the bomb going off. Suddenly. See, there's got to be a suddenly. There's got to be a suddenly. It's like, yeah, I've taught you all this stuff. You understand the principles. But wait until the bomb goes off under this thing that propels a wave. I don't know if you know, he doesn't command you to go and be witnesses. It's a statement. This is going to happen. Pretty hard not to be swept up in those waves. It's this is going to happen when the bomb goes off. But in the midst, there's wind, there's fire, there's all kinds of weird stuff. It's like, what is going on? And Peter stands up and he nails the essence of the wave. And it's found down in uh, about verse 16, I think, if you can put that up. No, he said, no, 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 you don't, it's not, yeah, yeah, there's wind, yeah, there's fire, but no, no, that, this is not the essence of this thing. This is, I know what this is. This is what Joel prophesied. And, and this is how he interprets it. If you go into the next one, flicker. No, no, in the last days. This is why I'm talking about it on Vision Sunday. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And what? And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. The essence of the wave is a wave of a spirit of vision and dream that sees God's future and is caught up in the purposes of God to be propelled forwards. Now, I don't have time to unpack the whole thing of the theology of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible is a story of how God's purposes are, are being outworked through the whole earth to reach the ends of the earth and transform the whole earth. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, He's come to produce a wave to head towards. We know how the story finishes. We know how the book ends. When the bomb hits, it's like that ship in that first one. You can't help but rise up and see into the preferred future of God. See into what He's doing and be caught up in a wave of vision and purpose for God's purposes in our world. As Pastor Sam says, vision is a spirit because it sees where God is going and it's caught up in the wave and no one has to tell you to do something whatever because I'm caught in the wave and I've seen it. 
and, and, and the whole theology in the old, that the spirit groans forward towards the purposes of God. See, God wants to birth a wave of his spirit that propels us outwards and forwards into the purposes of God. Vision is a spirit. When the bomb goes off, the wave that you ride is you find yourself dreaming dreams and seeing visions and uttering prophetic declarations. The city is gonna be transformed. The school is gonna be transformed. We could see this nation transformed. Just like in the early church, they stood as a poor, poor persecuted minority and said, one day this empire is gonna fall. I've seen it. I've seen it. I live with it. I speak it out. I dream dreams of it. Because the wave has hit me. And I can't help but not be caught up with it. I want to I talk about just some aspects of how that spirit of vision works in our life. And, uh, and again, just a couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Scott got me to go and speak to the young adults. So apologies to anyone that was at the camp. I'm just going to go over a bit of what I talked about there. But, uh, but I had the sense going to the camp that God was saying, this is a moment. Like this camp is a moment. I'll unpack what that means in a minute. But not only the camp was a moment, but for young adults to understand, you are in a moment in your life. This is a key defining moment. But even more than that, you're surrounded by 100,000 other young, young adults in tertiary education in Auckland who they don't know it, but they stand in a moment of their life. This is decisive. This is important. And what, is, what does that mean, this is a moment? Kind of unpack a bit. In, in Greek, there's two words for the understanding of time. One is chronos, which is just the, the flow of time that just carries on. But the other, the other word is kairos which is specific moments. Uh, a definition is uh, this, that uh, kairos is an ancient Greek word meaning the right or opportune moment, the supreme moment, signifies a period or a season. And it's like, you know, you can think of your life as it just goes on, but actually a biblical way to think about your life, there are periods of stability and then there are moments. And, and, you know, it's a picture in the Old Testament, Abraham, but we'll say Abraham journeyed from this place to this place and there he built an altar. And then Abraham journeyed from this place to this place and there he built an altar. And it's like these altar moments, moments of encounter with God, where suddenly there's some dimension of vision gets downloaded and there's a response that's, God, I want to give my life to that. And I don't know about you, but when I look back, my life actually makes more sense, less is just the steady flow and and as a sequence of moments. And, and, and it's easy when you hear someone talk about their connection with God to sound like, like it's happening all the time, but, but we often compress the long periods of stability and we just talk about the moments, don't we? And then, you know, for me, when I've probably been a Christian 40 years, and, but there's probably like seven moments. Come on, there are moments that define your life. And then you live, the, probably for me, the first moment was as a primary school kid, I don't even know how old I was, we just got involved in this community ministry for kids and went along to this camp and the Christian thing and then this guy preached one night and, you know, asked kids to come, and come up the front, give their hearts to Jesus. And I just remember going back, it was probably eight or nine or something, going back to my bunk and kind of just saying, God, you know that I agree with everything that guy said, but you know there's no way I'm going up the front, eh? So I was like, uh, you know, we're all good with this. <laughs> and just in hindsight now, so that, was a mo that was a moment I was born again. That was a moment of vision opened of another way of life and an encounter and a response. Not the response the guy at the front was looking for, but my, it was an authentic response for me. 
you know, and then fast forward uh, to when I was 15, went to a big youth conference in Wellington, and this guy again up the front did this big appeal, like, yeah, you might be a Christian, you might know Jesus, but, you know, give your whole life to follow Jesus. I don't really know why, but I found myself up the front, standing there, and then I kind of promptly forgot about it. But that's one of the reasons I'm convinced that moments are important, because my next moment was six years later, growing up in Taranaki, came up to Auckland to study at university, just finishing, uh, finishing a bachelor's degree in psychology here, and I was enrolled in a master's, I wanted to do a PhD, I just wanted to be a psychology lecturer, and God reminded me of that moment when I was 15, and he said to me, you said that I could have your life. I was like, so he remembers the moments, even if we forget. <laughs> That was an altar. He, he takes, you can laugh, but God takes moments seriously. And I was, for me, I was like, okay, well, I've kind of got the next 10 years planned out. And so now is actually the obvious time if there's going to be a redirection. So God, you've got summer to redirect my life. Otherwise, kind of the next 10 years are sorted. And so then I, I went home to Taranaki, went to a youth camp. And again, one night, just before an evening session, I'm sitting on the front row, just chatting away. The leader guy comes bounding off the stage, running past me to go and sort something out. And as he runs past me, he said, oh, you should come and work for us. I was like, there it is. God's just redirected my life. But, but there was a, a, a final thing with that. It would have been exactly this time of the year. I remember one night walking down at my mother's house in New Plymouth, walking down to what had used to be my bedroom, and thinking, I'm not really good at this hearing from God business, but I'm gonna, I've got to walk into that room, and when I walk out, I have to know whether to get on the bus tomorrow and go back to Auckland, or whether to stay here. I don't really know what happened in there, or how, but I just walked out of there knowing um, my life's just changed direction. And I ended up staying uh, and being a youth worker. You know, so, and the next moment was about six years later, Christine and I were just relatively newly married, and. Uh, we took the short-term mission trip to the Philippines to spend uh, 10 days or so working on this rubbish dump where 10,000 people lived. You know, I remember on the last day, a group of us standing on top of this rubbish dump, just tears kind of down, coming down our face and, and just going, God, I never realized that you looked down on things like this. And, and it's just not right. It's just wrong, God. And we just prayed and said, God, would you release us from what we're doing in New Zealand and let us come back to be part of this? Now, that was a moment for us. It was another moment a few years later. We were working in the slums in Manila and, and down in the southern Philippines. There's a kind of a, a lots of conflict with Islamic separatists and stuff. And I won't go into all the details, but a couple of missionaries got killed down there. And we, we, just, like, we just had this moment like, stuff you devil, how dare you kill missionaries? We're just going to go and take their place. So we packed up our three little kids and moved down into this place, that was a moment. The next moment is funny though, it was interesting, because the next moment actually living down there came to a point that Christine came to me and said, I just believe it's time for us to go back to New Zealand. I just knew it was God. And I was like, no, I, I thought we were here for life. I don't understand. <laughs> no, no to God, not no to Christine. And I was like, I never, <laughs> you don't argue with my wife. Um, but, um, but, no, but I was like, I knew this was a God thing. It's like, this doesn't make sense, but you're calling us back to New Zealand. I don't understand. But I've got to surrender what I think that I know. And, and I, I've got to do this. You know, I, I could jump ahead. Probably the last significant moment was about four years ago. We were living in Christchurch. We brought my mum down from the North Island to live with us for 10 years. We had our daughter and granddaughter living with us. Um, Christine had a great job working for... 
Child Cancer Foundation. I was running uh, Laidlaw College in Christchurch, had a lot of influence around churches. And again, like this meeting, no context. Pastor Bruce just walks past me and goes, oh, I think you should resign from your job. I think you've got too comfortable. <laughs> I was like, what? And then two days later, I was like, oh, bother, he's right, I'm bored. <laughs> At a level that I had, and you know, so for us, there was a moment, again, it was like, okay, God, show us what to do, and just silence, so just thought, we just gotta resign. I had to give six months notice, because I was leading a college there, and you know, what are you gonna do? I don't know, but this is a moment. You know, it was easy when we were 21 and 25, it's a lot harder at 50, but this is another altar moment where we go, God, you know, and three weeks before we're due to finish, Pastor Sam rings me and says, oh, Pastor Mark's moving on from leading Equipus College. Would you come up here? And we go, there it is. There's the next season for our life. Awesome. You know, and, and, and just a, and so my life has been marked by moments of encounter and, and some download of vision for the next season and a response of commitment and sacrifice and say, yeah, we're doing this. You know, and just to unpack it a bit more, part of the thing for me coming to Auckland was just I'm captivated, I'm gripped by this vision uh, that, of arrows being fired out from this church all around the city, all around the nation, and all around the nations of the world. It comes from a passage we might have it in Isaiah. Um, we got it up there, Isaiah 49. Listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he's spoken my name. And next one. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. Thus he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. You know what, Pastor Sam doesn't have to ring me up and tell me to get out of bed in the morning or turn up at college. Or It's like, this just burns within me, a vision of arrows being fired out all around the world. And so every year it's like this vision has developed. So the first year as a college, it was like this picture of, you know, an arrowhead, the metal, and it's sharp and it's solid. And it's like, yeah, I just, I just want to do everything to add weight to these arrows so when they're fired out for the purposes of God, they hit and they accomplish what they're meant to do. And it's like, that's what we're about. We're just adding weight to these arrows. And then going into the second year at college, it was like, I saw this picture like those medieval movies of whole volleys of arrows. You know when they're having the battle and then the guy goes, archers, and they all step forward and they pull back and they release this whole wave of arrows? You've seen those movies? Yeah, it was like, oh, that's what he wants to do. It's not just individual. God wants to send out a whole wave of arrows out of equippers. Uh, and, you know, the, and I, that's why I want to give my life for that. You know, and then going into the third year, the metaphor kind of, Metaphors don't contain everything, so he kind of dropped the metaphor for that. Yeah, I just saw this picture of people working together in teams, planning events. And so going into last year, it's like, yeah, we just believe God wants to take team to a whole new level, not just individual arrows, not just volley together, but, but the working together. So we set up these mission teams where teams of students went to different places around the country. And it was like, it's, yeah, God, is, this is a God thing. You know, and then at the end of the year, we had this tragedy with one of the students had this massive heart uh, incident and surgery and just see all the students pull together and support her and her family and each other. And it's like, man, yeah, God is building team. And then about uh, a month ago or something, she had another incident and she died. And it's like, you know, a whole group of us went down to her tonguey and it's like, man, God, you're just taking this, this team thing to a whole new level. You know, so I, God, you're in this, a carry vision for what we're doing. It was interesting going into this year, um, Matthew Jenkinson, just at a staff prayer meeting, just 
said to me one time, oh, I just got this picture of an, the arrow, but it's like hitting Achilles' heel, and you should go and read about that. So I went and, it's a Greek myth, okay, it's not true, but it's a Greek myth. I don't know if you know Achilles, Achilles' heel. So the idea, this little baby's born called Achilles, uh, but there's, it's foretold that one day he's going to be killed. But there's this, you know, there's a sacred river, and if you dunk people in the river, they're supposed to be protected from being cold. So his mother takes him and dunks him in the river as a baby, but she's holding him by the heels. I don't know what kind of mother puts the baby in the river by heels, but yeah, she does. So the heels are the only part that haven't been touched by the water. So he grows up and he's a mighty warrior, but one day an arrow goes and hits him in the heel in the one weak point and the, gets poison and he dies. And Matthew was saying, and it's gelled with us, it's like, yeah, yeah, we're not just doing fun archery practice. We're adding weight to arrows to release a whole volley that are fired out to take down powers and principalities that are holding towns and cities and nations. We're not playing games. There are, there are strongholds that these people are going to be equipped to go and take. That's what we're about. And it's like, oh my goodness, you, you want to live by vision. It's a spirit. It's not a marketing management gimmick. Come up with a vision sentence. It's a spirit of a wave that's unleashed by God. And it's interesting when I uh, was speaking to the young adults, I thought, oh, this whole thing of Kairos, I should, I wonder what, I should look that up and see if there's anything more about, about what it means. And I, seriously, you can't write this stuff. I, um, do you know what, this is what it says. In Onion's 1951 itemological studies, that means finding out where the word came from, he traces the primary route to the ancient Greek association with archery. In archery, Kairos denotes the moment in which an arrow may be fired with sufficient force to penetrate a target. The Kairos moment in people's lives. You know, there's the whole process, get the bow, get the stuff, but the, but the Kairos moment is that moment at the back where the arrow is engaged and then it's directed and it's released. Colin, you didn't get there. The Kairos moments in your life are moments when your heart is engaged and God directs you at a target and releases you with vision. Come on, vision is a spirit. Vision is based around Kairos moments in our lives when our hearts are engaged and God redirects our focus and he unleashes us to go and do his purposes. Come on, it's time for some Kairos moments. It's time for some moments of engagement, uh, direction and release. And how do I know that this is so important for young people? Uh, just flick up uh, Psalm 110. This is a great uh, thing. This is a promise between God the Father and God the Son. The Lord, God the Father, says to my Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So this God has promised Jesus, we're going to do this. Every enemy's going to fall. Every knee's going to bow to you. This is happening. This is going to happen. Don't buy into that spirit of despair. This God the Father has promised Jesus. We're doing this thing. But notice what he says. Flick up the next one. The Lord will extend, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter. That's the symbol of his rule from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. God is going to do this thing. Come on, God is going to do this thing. Don't you dare buy into that negativity. And just, God is going to do this thing because God the Father has promised Jesus he's going to do it. But how is he going to do it? Flick up the next one. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, this, your young men and your young women will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. God the Father has promised Jesus 
that just like every morning the Jew is there, God the Father has promised Jesus that in every generation another wave of young men and young women will rise up who carry vision, who say we can change our world, we can make a difference in our generation, we carry a vision, we're caught up in a wave. The Holy Spirit has one job, produce a wave of young men and women with vision to see God's kingdom come in our world. Vision is a spirit that produces a wave that soars to the ends of the world and into the future of the purposes of God. Vision is a spirit. I just want to finish with uh, one other little dynamic to understand how this works in our lives. One of the most helpful things I've ever heard is from Pastor Bruce around Psalm 119 verse 105, if you can flick that up. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And what Pastor Bruce says, this is how God often works with vision. It's like we stand, God shows a little spotlight way out in the future, a glimpse of something. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's where we're going. That's the light. But then he gives you a lamp. And the thing about an oil lamp is you can't point it like a torch. All it does is light up your feet. And vision works like that. He gives you enough of a glimpse way out there. And then he gives you a lamp and that just gives you enough light to do the next yeah, yeah. step. And again, in my life, that's how, I've worked, how it's worked. You know, I, there was a t in my early 20s one day, I had this vision sound so pretentious, a brief glimpse you know, of Jesus picking me up like a toddler and looking into the future and going, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm being a good Christian. I said, whatever you want me to do, Jesus. And as soon as I said it, I knew it was the wrong answer. He, he actually wanted me to own something, to name something. I spent about a year figuring it out. And then I had this picture of standing in the seminar room with like 10, 15 or so third world Christian leaders and I was teaching them. And I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. And I tell you, 30 years later, I haven't got there yet. But that picture has guided everything I've done. But then life has been with this lamp and it's like, oh yeah, go to the Philippines. Oh yeah, that makes sense in the slums. Okay, go to an Islamic context. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And then it was like, go back to New Zealand. And it's like, no, I thought we're going, what are you doing? We're going there. And it's like, I don't understand God. I don't understand. But, but the light said there, but the lamp says here. And to trust God. And then it was like, okay, start a college in Christchurch. Okay, now go and lead a church in Christchurch. And then get involved in this interdenominational church and then during the earthquakes it was like there's all these opportunities came to speak to the city it's like oh is this what you got us here for all these things open and then just when it seems right on the verge of something God says okay lay it all down now and come to Auckland it's like I don't understand and who was I to know that right at that moment Equippers would be forging a relationship with a college in Denmark and, Gar and a church planting in Ghana and Calcutta and stuff and it's like I can see, I can see. It's been 30 years of walking with this lamp, but I can see I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. And there's, and always there's disappointments, always there's frustration, always, but, but vision is a spirit. But vision is a spirit. How about you stand? See, vision is a spirit. We need an encounter that produces a download of vision that issues in a response of commitment and sacrifice. And I just wonder, I wanna to speak to two groups, like Andy said, so I just encourage you, mate, just engage with God, if that's close your eyes, or raise your hand, I just wanna to speak to two groups. First of all, I wanna to speak to the older people. 
I believe that the word of God for you is that some of us have accommodated too much. I know that life gets busy. I know that life gets complicated. It was easy when we were 25 just to pack everything up and go. Now it's, it's complicated. Christine and I are both on the phone, if not every day, every second day, managing the well-being of our two mothers in two different cities. We're juggling stuff with them. We get calls from doctors. We I buy my mum's groceries online for her everywhere. I gotta, it's a, life's complicated, right? Mortgages, family, juggling kids and their needs. I know that life gets complicated, but I feel like the word of God to some of us is we've just a comment. We've fitted in too much to those demands. And, and, and do you know what the symptom is? Deep down, you're bored. But the more obvious, but you often, like me, you may not even know that, but what you do notice is this. When words come out of your mouth that used to carry such passion, they just sound hollow even to you. And it's time for another moment. Time for another altar moment. When the wave hits you again. Come on. When you get the chorus, you get engaged, directed, and released for another season. Come on, if that's you, I would, I would encourage you. Come on, God's here for a moment. And if you're a younger person, I want to tell you this. You will have a number of moments throughout your life. I carry such a burden. You know, that 15 to 25-year age, that is the kairos moment of your life. Something will engage you, direct you, and release you towards a purpose. And if it's not the glorious kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be something else. Come on, have, pursue God. Seek out. Let the wave hit you that you see it. No one's got to argue with you. You should do this because you you've seen something. You've seen education in New Zealand being transformed. You've seen your community being transformed. You've seen slums in Asia being transformed. Or Africa, you've seen a wave of church planting. It's like you carry vision and nothing can stop you. Sometimes God shows me, just we're going to sing a song and a hand back to Pastor Eve, but sometimes God shows me weird things, and I think they're a bit symbolic, and this is what he showed me. Sometimes I see just angels all around ready to do something. Sometimes if they're carrying bandages and stuff, which is dumb, but I just, oh yeah, they're just going to bring healing. Do you know what I saw for this meeting? I saw angels all around carrying little envelopes. I believe that they're carrying the dispatches of heaven, ready to plant into your spirit. And like me, it may take a while to go from your spirit up to your mind to get some clarity. But right now, there's a moment for the bomb to go off, for the wave to start, for a, for a kairos moment in God where you have an encounter and something is parted into your spirit and you go out carrying vision. Come on, I want, I want you to just engage with God. They're going to lead us in the song. Come on, let God create a moment for you right now because spirit is a vision. Come on, spirit is a vision. Let's worship.